welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour number 75, live on YouTube. Um, what are we? My name is Brett Schaefer. I'm here with Ryan Henderson. We're talking about basically whatever we want in financial markets. I had the week off last week. I was basically off the grid. So maybe, Ryan, we can start out by anything I missed anything, something like that. Uh, but before that, how are you doing? Are you ready to discuss some, any investing topics this week? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, I've got pretty much one thing on the docket. What did you miss? Well, markets are in turmoil. I think the NASDAQ is down like 4%. So that's this week, right? What about <laughs> last week? I honestly just don't remember. Uh, okay. Let's How was the show? I, I listened a little bit to the show last week with um, Jason. That seemed to go well. That was good. Jason's really a, he's, he's good. He's kind of a banking expert. And so it's always fun to pick his brain on banking topics. And we did a little bit of that. We did, we talked home builders. We talked... It's always refreshing to get a perspective of someone that's not me or you because we just like are like just a, a thought silo where we just like regurgitate each other's takes and it's like right. yeah houses are overpriced and it's like <laughs> someone's yeah. like yeah you know people don't people oh, yeah. buy homes and they don't look at it for an investment like well, whatever but anyway yeah it was uh it was fun i don't know if you really missed that much um arm what about that what about that espn what about that espn charter thing i never really read that up but i just saw a headline oh that they're like withholding their rights or whatever yeah i yeah i didn't read up too much on it apparently espn's holding out i guess apparently there's a really good strategy article on it the uh i guess just a holdout right but it, I guess. no, oh, oh, oh! I read. Um, it isn't about the pricing. It was about Charter being able to offer the ad-supported tier or something for mm-hmm. for Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus. Yeah, or ESPN. So I don't, I don't know why that's the hiccup. But uh, have you read up on it at all? Just a little bit. It seems though. I don't know what the dispute is going to end up being. It's I don't like any of the horses in this race, but it seems like this is an opportune time for the Roku's, the Fire TVs, and what's the other one? Apple and Google. I'm forgetting some. Samsung. It's an opportune time for them to try to take the reins here, right? Or try try to offer something that a lot of these streamers might want. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I keep going back and forth, which is like ESPN, obviously great brand, but it's not worth anything if, if they don't have the sports rights. So it's like, uh, I guess Disney is just, 
It's unsolvable. It's uninvestable because I don't know. And remember last time I said something was uninvestable, Meta jumped like threefold, but the, it so feels that's, the, that's the bias thing. I can't predict anything with them. Yeah. I, it's uninvestable for me. I think if people can get comfortable with it, they can, but I really hate the BD industry in all its forms right now. Uh, I, I would invest in a company where it's a small portion of the business, like an Amazon or a Google, but I just think it's too tough. It's too tough. What I, Maybe at the right price, the uncertainty is okay, but man, some of the prices that these things used to trade, I think that uncertainty was just not, the risk reward was not reflected in that stock price. Maybe it is now, but yeah. me. Um Other things that happened. Okay. Latch, you remember Latch, changed their, uh, changed their name to door.com. Thoughts? Um, Latch is a good name. Door.com, maybe not as much. Maybe not as much. I don't know. I think okay, Door.com, wow. That, I mean, they're a little desperate. They're a little desperate. I was going to say, a name change that does not mark a change in strategy. So like Facebook going to Meta or whatever, which I still think was stupid, is like, please forget about our previous company. Uh, this is a new one. Uh, and we are not the same people. And it's like, okay, yeah, forgive our previous uh, mistakes. But anyway, um, other things that were kind of interesting. We got a question uh, here oh, from yeah. Amir. What about coupon boys? I don't maybe clarify that if you have anything specific on that. But I would disclose that over the last, what was it, two, three weeks ago, we actually did end up taking a position. So um, we're not going to probably buy anything more, sell anything more for a long time, but it is a position we really like the company. Yeah, no, we did buy it. Um, I don't know. I'm umming a lot this episode, so I'm going to stop umming. But the we'll have to have an um counter for you, and then we'll add it up. We'll have some <laughs> the listeners do a tally, and then it'll really get you going and try not. try not to say them anymore. The I really like coupon. We like Brett said, we took a position. So it's a part of the arch capital holding. So keep that in mind. Um, exclude that. Um, exclude There's that one. Up. There's one. The, I really like bomb suit Kim and they just, just feel really advantaged relative to a lot of the other players in South Korea and South Korea is just, I'm surprised by how good the economics can be there for an end to end e-commerce provider. Yeah, they're generating what is it, twenty six percent gross margins, and uh, that is up like almost ten percentage points over the last year. Granted, they had a fulfillment center fire last year, but it's it's a very profitable market, and it's a model that really works. And similar to Ryanair, in a way, Bombsuit Kim seems maniacally focused on building efficiencies within the business, which that's really how you get to operating leverage with e-commerce companies is just like redundancy, like this crazy focus on being efficient. Yep. Little teaser, Ryanair is going to be our not so deep dive for next week. So if you're listening to this on Sunday, as the majority of you are, Tuesday, going to be a fascinating airline to cover. All right. Have you heard about Dollar General? Uh, better to sell or hold from Amir? Well, I think that answers the question. We just said that 
we like it, but oh. obviously don't just buy because we buy, don't hold because we hold, don't sell because we sell. We're just talking on here and we like the company for the time being, but there could be something that happens and obviously do your own research. I would, if you like, or if you're interested in it though, we did do a coverage on the company about maybe, I can't remember. It was this summer. So pretty recent, check it in your podcast feed or on the YouTube page. Today's episode is presented by the Science of Hitting Investment Research Service. The Science of Hitting was founded by Alex Morris, who spent a decade working as a buy-side equities analyst before launching his own service in early 2021. You've heard him here on the show a number of times, but Alex produces really, really high-quality equity research. And in addition, he provides 100% transparency into all his portfolio decision-making. We were early subscribers to the Science of Hitting Research Service, and we genuinely believe that Alex produces research that is on par with top Wall Street analysts at a fraction of the cost. I mean, the fact that you also get complete portfolio transparency and 100% accountability is just icing on the cake. Effectively, you're outsourcing a full-time equities analyst role for just $349 per year. Brett and I both pay for the service on our own, and we can tell you that it's honestly worth the money. Some of the companies that Alex covers includes Microsoft, Netflix, and Meta, Roku, Costco, Match Group, Berkshire, tons of others. So if you're interested, check out the TSOH Investment Research Service today at thescienceofhitting.com. But you were saying Dollar General. Yeah, have you kept up with this? I saw the stock was down. What's what's going on? I thought this was a compounder. I, mean, I think it's still a compounder, but the... It seems like they're kind of getting hit from all sides. Walmart's starting to encroach a little bit. Um, ah, keep on me. Whatever. The other part is, I think I might try to do like a segment on shrink, which mm, yeah, is a common theme among a lot of retailers now. And every CEO on it, pretty much every conference call for any retailer has called it out as a huge headwind more so than it has been previously because i remember five below their ceo was saying you know in some of our markets we just can't even operate anymore they don't prosecute for theft under 500 which if you're five below most of that theft is going to be under 500 um certain cities just don't and i think a lot of people get attracted to the shrink topic because it's political and in, in a way, like if certain local governments don't prosecute crimes or, or theft, like shrink's going to be higher there. And so people want to comment on it. But really, I'm curious what kind of an impact it has on like actual retailers. Like, what do you do? do yeah, you, I'm, cur- I'm can't curious. Hire, can't hire police outside the store. Like I remember Nike was trying to do that within their Portland store and the government, whatever the um, governing body basically just said, no, uh, like you're not gonna be able to do that. So they had to shut down their stores. Do you just fail to operate there? Do you, there's no way all these companies are just going to open up stores in Kansas or in the middle of rural America where there isn't that many customers. Is this like, can this be a sustained headwind from multiple years? Yeah. Yeah. I, the big question for me is, does it get better or does it get worse? Because if it gets worse, this could really, really hurt the physical retailers. And it's going to help the online operators because they don't have this 
yeah, there is some porch theft that they have to deal with, but it's not nearly as bad as the shrinkage shop. Some of these other other stores. We got a comment here from Game. Uh, can't pronounce your last name, but thank you for the comment. But he says, and you just missed a little bit of discussion on it, but is what is your thought about Disney at these prices? I think. I don't like them. Well, I would. I would get it where I think the parks business can give you good returns without raising too much uh, on prices, right? Because they've taken that a lot and people are getting very, very upset with that. So I would say a margin of safety with the parks business, because that seems like a very solid business. Well, it doesn't seem like it. I think we can all definitively say it's a great business. It just, this, the video stuff, it's so uncertain. It could be a zero, this, this, those entire businesses. I mean, that, that sounds, that's a little bit extreme, but I, I would look at where the parks business is, what, what I'm buying. And I don't know um, what number that is, but that's the kind of the math I'd want to do. And it's still not a business I want to own, though, because I just don't like the media industry right now because big tech is just flooding the market with supply and they don't care about the economics because it's a rounding error to them. Yeah. And, you know, the people probably hear you say like, oh, it could be a zero or whatever. And they're like, well, you know, how on, how on earth is that possible with the with the brands that they have? And, you know, those brands are certainly worth something, but there's fixed costs, a lot of fixed they, costs. They are just hemorrhaging money and they can't do that forever, no matter how much the park subsidize it. So maybe they can, maybe they can just be break even forever. But the, I mean, the streaming market, like you said, it's being flooded with content from people that are not afraid to throw away money. And, and Netflix okay, has this, this big week, lead and Netflix has this big lead and YouTube, YouTube, YouTube is a <clears throat> giant whale in there as well. Yeah. This week I watched. I streamed plenty of content. It was kind of a long weekend, had some time, and I did not touch anything Disney-wise. I watched Apple TV. There's some new shows out on there. I watched Netflix. I watched sports, all streamed by non-Disney assets. It doesn't feel to me as relevant in the in the media consumption world, the brand, just the whole Disney umbrella. And yeah, so this, yeah, we're good. It's just a different world for them. And I think the changing of how people consume content is could be really kind of detrimental to the Disney business. I Disney Plus is fine. And I bet if I had kids, I would love Disney Plus. But eventually that I don't that's not a giant it's, it's market. not doing that well. I mean, yeah. growth is muted. They're they're raising prices, which helps, but and if I was a if I had a if I was going for the thesis of, okay, families have to dominate this. I would be worried about the competition from Roblox and Nintendo because they are both doing extremely well with family-friendly content. A lot of like, go to Netflix. There's so many kid-friendly content. Go to um, YouTube. YouTube is probably eating the most share in terms of kids' consumption, YouTube and Roblox, uh, over Disney. So I... Uh, I don't like Disney here. It's I tough. also I also kind it's of have tough. a pet peeve with Bob Iger is just a walking eh, ego, e- me. egomaniac. Yeah. All right. Back to looks like we got some comments here about the shrink and Dollar General stuff. So uh, maybe I'll throw out these comments. What about from Brennan here? What about Walmart's new theft detection procedures? Uh, and also Julius Caesar. Well, thank you, Julius, for joining. Says that ASO, which who is that? ASO is. 
Academy Sports and Outdoor. Okay. It's pretty much the only retailer that hasn't mentioned shrink as an issue for them. They have a good inventory management control in place. Plus their stores are primarily primarily in the South and Southeast. Maybe that helps. Yeah. The, I think the big thing, at least the theme from both these comments are, and what I was thinking about when you were mentioning stuff is that eventually it's going to be such a big problem that these companies are going to make it their number one priority. And I think they're going to solve it when push comes to shove, but things could look ugly for a while. Yeah. And I wonder how most of it's being done. I'm curious what, whether it's people walk in and they know they're not going to be convicted. So they just grab stuff and walk right out. I know in Seattle, the city has a big problem with it. Honestly. Yeah. My, my friend was a manager at a stick sporting goods and he said it was, it was insane. People would walk in, take it, run out the door and the cop in the area would be like, "Hmm, hands up. I don't know, man. Yeah. I had family who worked at, it was like a QFC or something. And they said they would see people walk in that they knew weren't going to pay. And they're not allowed to touch them. They're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to follow them out of the store. They could just walk right in and take them out. It's uh, what do they call it? The five finger discount. It's. Yeah, me, it's interesting. It's interesting what, how, if it's going to get worse and when, like how much it's going to affect these retailers. And I could see that being a labor issue too. Like if these people start to feel unsafe, a hundred percent, they're they're not going to want to work there. I mean, obviously, there is general just resentment towards working at retail stores because of that theft issue. At least where I'm, our our area. So, I I think it has to. And a lot of the CEOs in conference calls have been clear that they can't solve it themselves, and it has to be done at the government level. Yeah, what's interesting, they might have to just cut their losses and pull out of some of these areas, specifically on Dollar General. I wish I knew the company better. I would say that the how I do follow the company is from our sponsor and great friend that has been on the show for a long time, The Science of Hitting a newsletter. That's really where I get the coverage from. But besides that, I'm looking at a 10-year chart of their price-to-earnings ratio, which again, probably isn't perfect, but probably decent for a company like this. And it's at 12.8, which is their lowest in the last 10 years. Maybe, maybe it's an opportunity to plug your nose here, but what what were the concerns that they had? Did you kind of look at this closely at all? Uh, Not, not close enough, but there was more than just the shrink issue is it was literal, like competitive threats that were causing problems for them, which is a little hard to like, look past. So, um, I don't know, there's valid reasons for it. And I recommend everyone look at that science of hitting article because he describes the situation well, but feel a little unqualified to discuss it in any depth. The, I want to answer this question about Walmart's theft detection or theft prevention. I'm not sure what their actual procedures are, but I know every time I've walked into a Walmart recently, there's a cop at the door. Uh, I walked into Kroger based stores recently. There's cops at the door and they are now doing receipt check for like Costco, uh, like Costco. The other thing that's worth mentioning is Walmart doesn't really operate in cities. They are always outside the city. I know in Seattle, greater Seattle area, there's, there isn't a single Walmart. So that can help prevent a lot of the crime to be honest. And 
I think they didn't call out shrink as a percentage of their overall business as such a big headwind relative to some of these other companies. Yeah. As a Dick Sporting Goods said, it was really, really tough. Yeah. I don't know the, I don't know retailers that well. I don't know Dollar General that well. I know they have a great book. I would love to read sometime. Seems like it's been a great business. I wonder though, I wonder the e-commerce threat with Amazon. Does that ever going to push into them or are they too, are they so rural? Or Timu. (laughs) Yeah. Timu is the big dollar general threat. I did see recently, I think I just like, I just liked that. I think like 30 minutes ago, there was a short report out on Timu, which we'll say time to ban them because as Amazon shareholders, we are very worried about our U S national security. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, we're not worried about our, we're not worried about our position on Amazon. It's national security. This needs to be dealt with and it would just, so happened to coincide with my portfolio. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The From what I've read about Dollar General is they try to be as rural as possible, right? That's their core bread and butter. They want to be the main store in these tiny towns. So I would think they're insulated from e-commerce, which is nice. But I, they already have so many stores. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I don't know the company well enough to, to comment on it. It, it seems like it could be an interesting opportunity at like 12 times earnings, especially if they have that solid capital allocation in place. I will look, I believe they're a decent share cannibal. I'll pull up the shares outstanding number here real quick. Uh, How about the uh, Amazon Shopify partnership? Mm, okay. Yeah. As a note, 10 years, that last 10 years, shares outstanding down 31 and a half percent. Ooh, uh, did not kinda, see that. Kind of Fill me in, fill me in on that. This is when I was off, I was gone. Oh, they reached some sort of a partnership that um, I don't think the specifics of the deal were disclosed or maybe I didn't see everything in particular, but basically buy with prime is going to be able to be integrated easily within for Shopify merchants within their checkout process. And the previously they had announced that they might integrate this. There was some pushback from the investor community. And then Shopify was like, mm, they're, they're violating our terms of service. I, I don't think merchants should do this. And if you want to, it's going to be this really complicated like process for you to get it put on tier checkout process. Now they're adding just a simple button. I wonder if Amazon's giving them some sort of a royalty or kickback on orders processed through buy with prime. Yeah. I don't know. My guess, my guess is they probably are, because what would cause this change of heart from Shopify? I think it's because the merchants are upset. I think this is one where I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure because Toby and Andy Jassy both publicly stated, like, we're you know we're happy to be doing this partnership, and Amazon hasn't specifically called this out with any other um, CMS providers or content management systems. I think there's a kickback here to Shopify yeah. in some way. But it's going to be lower than Shop Pay. I think this is one where Andy Jassy is basically Walter White and he's calling up Bezos and he's saying the, you know, the I won thing, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think I think so. All right, Ryan, Ryan's changing his mic. But it's, I think for Shopify's perspective, the most concerning thing is that the economics are not going to be nearly as lucrative as shop pay processing through their internal pro- payment system. Hey, the stock jumped. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, great. You know what else was funny? I was remember, remember when 
Shopify announced that they were buying Ooh, that. $83 billion mark. Wow. It's still, God, that thing is still expensive. Sorry. Okay. Remember, remember they bought that delivery, last mile delivery company, and the stock jumped. And then like a year later, they sold it and the stock jumped. Yeah. No, it's, it's Shopify is almost like Apple. When Apple reports an earnings, they don't have to, all they have to do is report earnings. They don't have to be good. The, the stock will jump. They're like, okay, the earnings are out. We can buy this thing. Yeah. Anything that Shopify does, people seem to be taking with a positive light, at least over the last five years. All right. Any other things financial markets wise that excited you? Any companies you're looking at today? Um, Instacart IPO. I got some information. Yeah, it is. Okay. Give me so. Not sure what the expected valuation is going to be, but for those that don't know, Instacart filed their S one to go public. They're actually called Maple Bear. Is the full company, which pretty pretty bad name, but who cares? I guess everyone just goes calls them Instacart. They plan to trade under the ticker Cart. Good ticker. They have more than 1,400 national, regional, and local retail banners, more than 80,000 stores. They represent more than 85% of the U.S. grocery industry. So the majority of grocery stores are saying, yeah, I'm, they're fine accepting Instacart orders. Gross transaction volume, though, has been stagnating over the last year. So it's been consistent growth in total transactions, so both active customers as well as average ticket. but now you're starting to see that basically flat line. It was up just barely a single digit percentages in the most recent quarter year over year. So that's been a headwind, but advertising revenue has really been growing. Now, I personally am a little, I don't know if I like to see advertising revenue growing quickly for platforms like this because it feels like kind of a last lever to pull. So with Amazon, everyone knew it was always there. You could always do product promotions eventually. Airbnb, you could eventually do that. But even Brian Chesky is like, listen, yeah, it's obviously there and we could pull that lever if we want to, but it's the easy that's that's the easy way to grow is to basically pit these retailers against themselves and make them promote their products and give them, you know, preferred spots or preferred placement on your app. I don't know. It's growing quickly for them which I guess is a positive, but it just feels like an easy way to grow, I guess. Um, but it's high margin, I imagine. So they, uh, they are profitable cash flow basis. The It looks like a decent business. I know people that use it, that love it. And it really simplifies their routes. So expensive though. <laughs> so damn expensive. Yeah. I imagine if you're like, a family and you've got a bunch of places to be, you know, let's say you got kids, they got practices after school. You got to pick them up. You got to go to and from places to like get them there. And you just don't have time to make that grocery trip. You're willing to pay the extra $10 for the trip. If you don't think, uh, well, I don't know. I guess I've never used it, but I've heard it's pretty egregious, but I guess I don't know for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I see the benefit. Well, sure. For sure. If you can afford it, what are Instacart fees? Let's look it up. All right. 
blah, blah, blah. The part that would frustrate me is the getting the orders wrong. God, that would, that would just irk me. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Is and this I, a fine replacement? It's like a totally different brand oh, yeah. or whatever. It's like, I oh. used it in like, yeah. I used it when I was in uh, out of the country in a, in a cheaper market. And oh, that, it's so annoying when I didn't have a car. Like, it's it's so annoying. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Let's see. Well, looks like they're very complicated fees. So I guess it's not great to just read those off on a podcast, but yeah, yeah you know, it's an interesting business, but I don't think it's, I, I don't think this, how big can it get? Because you have to be fairly wealthy to use this. No, no, I don't think you do. I think you can get pretty big. I really do. All right. There's well, a lot see. of people that use this purely for the convenience factor. I mean, okay, how many people order DoorDash? That you know, friends are are they? Do they have to not be extremely that, wealthy? No, but like I mean, not that many order Dash, uh, or uh, Uber Eats or something. There's always these promotions, always these discounts. To me, it's just like, well, sure, if they're going to discount their way, but I'd say, you know, excluding that. I knew you'd have a gripe with this. I just knew you, the consumer habit you wouldn't like. But I'm telling you, people love this service the same way they love DoorDash. It's just like. Maybe it's out of laziness, but the convenience of having it delivered is nice. Yeah. And it honestly makes more sense to me than like a DoorDash order where it's like, yes, the DoorDash order, you're potentially paying, you know, 50% of your food costs to have it delivered to you. Whereas grocery, you can make a big grocery order and it's much smaller percentage. Yeah. No, it makes more sense than DoorDash for sure. At least in most cases, the... I just don't know if it's going to be that big of a business. I, I really don't. I just feel like a lot of people went from thinking these marketplaces were just, or okay, in my experience, we, we watched a lot of these marketplaces subsidize, or well, VCs were basically subsidizing the cost for customers. And there was just all this really unprofitable growth. Right. $2 and, billion and dollar I, venture rounds. Yeah. Right. And I just thought there's no way any of these could be profitable. But watching Uber do it, I'm starting to think that whoever the category leader is, they can be profitable if they yeah. choose to. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. I think DoorDash yeah. can do it. I think Instacart's really the leader in grocery. I think they could probably do it. I'd be more hesitant on DoorDash because I think, well, here's the interesting part. They're all trying to get into grocery now. DoorDash is trying to get into that. So I wonder if there's going to be a price war there, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think my gripe would be on grocery delivery that it's going to be unprofitable because it makes sense how they can be. Yeah, you, know, you can just change the knobs on what things cost and you can make it profitable. I just would worry about how big this thing is going to get. It is starting to mature, starting to saturate. I mean, you just I said that is kind of. You, Coincides right. with the fact that discounts are starting to burn off. Right. And you mentioned the advertising thing. I think those are two hints. Also, you mentioned the the GMV was stagnating. Yeah, that- just transaction volume. The it's stagnating. Yeah. Uh, part of, of that was transaction value has come down a little bit. Just I think people are buying less at the grocery store with the kind of inflation. Um or they're buying less items, maybe trading down in quality, but the it's still going to be. I think it grows just slowly. 
And yeah, there's a lot sad. of adjusted numbers in this S1, which kind of bothered me, but. Yeah, I will say I haven't read this S1. So if I do read it, maybe I'll change my entire opinion. But we've got a comment here from Julius Caesar, which I love that name. Says Uber is in the best position compared to DoorDash. Ryan, agree or disagree? I would have said yes, probably like a year ago, but free money has pretty much gone away, right? For these companies. And DoorDash still is growing transactions because I think the. Okay. This is really, really anecdotal, but people just go to DoorDash now. They don't really think about Uber Eats. They just hate DoorDash. My my anecdotes would be that everyone hates, that I know hates DoorDash. Uh, Not hate, not just the food delivery in general because it costs so much. But But they, I I don't know. DoorDash just has the brand notoriety. I I live with five people for, I've lived with five people for five months now and we haven't had one DoorDash order. Really? I've had, uh, quite a number of DoorDash orders to our place. The, uh, all right, let's look at their numbers. Depends. Let's look at the, Let's look at their numbers. Okay. Might be a little more, might be a little more expensive the further out of the city you get. That's true. That's very true. All right. Let's see. Last quarter revenue of 33% gap, gross profit, $951 million contribution, profit, blah, blah, blah. Gap net loss, 172 million. It's improving, but still a loss. Yeah, eh. I don't it's know. A, it's probably it's like okay, more. like it's fine, but like you're not going to go out of business. But well, why does that excite me? What do you think about this ARM IPO? Fifty-two billion dollars. Yeah, I was shocked at how slow growing this thing is, and the price people are willing to pay for. I don't understand why everyone's so excited about this, but. Are are people that excited? Yeah, I mean, SoftBank was right five years ago. Didn't they pay like the same amount, or or just a little bit less? They paid sixty four billion valuation for the remaining stake like three weeks ago. Or no, they Sun bought out. Sold. They bought out their. They bought out from the Vision Fund, so they could pay the Vision Fund investors. Which yeah. Sun bought Arm bit. from Sun, so that Sun could dump the bags on retail. Maybe, maybe the he's a uh, let's say complicated figure. Uh, I remember reading a quote from the Wall Street Journal, and it was and Sun basically said like, after they acquired the majority stake in Arm, he said he was so excited because this was his destiny. I was like, what do you mean, dude? The the, the numbers don't look that good. Uh, like it's a very profitable business, but I mean, uh, right? I think it was doing half a billion in cash flow annually. God, that's that's expensive. Fifty-two billion, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's expensive. It's not yeah, cheap yeah. business, and it's not it's not young. Like just because they're plowing money into R and D doesn't mean like growth is guaranteed. The, the business is growing pretty slow. Yeah, I wonder if Nvidia got lucky that their acquisition of ARM from SoftBank got blocked. Honestly. Yeah, I bet they probably are a little. I bet. Uh, look, there's there's going to be some someone out there that's like, no, you don't understand the strategic rationale. This is going to help them dominate the industry. It's okay, great. They overpaid. Yeah, I read this one quote. I think it was from Doomberg or whatever. I was, I can't find it, but it was like 
son bought his son bought a stake from son, then paid an extra. Uh, then son paid more to buy more from son, right before yeah. son sold ten percent to shareholders in the public markets. Yeah, just to mark up that stake, it's quite interesting, I would say. Yeah, they've never had any uh, bad, n- n- never had any examples of that going wrong. Have they? Yeah, n- yeah, not with them, not recently. No shady transactions that are a little bit of self dealing. We would never do cough, that. Cough, cough, Adam Newman, cut off, cough. Yeah. Okay, here's one that I thought was interesting. And there's two things that maybe don't seem related at first, but I think are going to be very related this decade. This is kind of a burgeoning thesis for me that's not going to be an investing one, but just more of a hot take. So we had yesterday Sean Fain, the United Auto Workers president, go on CNBC. He's been doing a media blitz. They're maybe about to strike, trying to get better wages as a lot of the you know, Ford, GM, Stellantis are getting, you know, they're earning pretty strong margins right now, and the workers want to get those wages up. At the same time, I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal about BYD. They're exporting a lot of stuff to uh, outside of China now, uh, mainly to Europe at first, not really in North America yet. No one has seen these. But the reason they've dominated, and what I think is so interesting, and here's the quote uh, from the Wall Street Journal. BYD's formula for success in its home country could likely work outside China. UBS estimated that the car maker has a sustainable 25% cost advantage over other legacy automakers. This includes Europe and North America. The bank said the BYD seal carries a similar profit margin to mass market internal combustion engines globally and blah, 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 cost advantage, cost advantage. The key there is that 25% cost advantage. That's huge. And I think that BYD could really go on a tear here exporting cars, plus the other Chinese ones this decade. What do you think? Especially the, the electric vehicles. Yeah. Unless there's uh, export bans of sorts. Yeah. That could throw a wrench into the mix. But what's you interesting see this is stuff that about China, China not allowing government officials to use iPhones anymore. I did see the headline. I was going to read it today. It's a lot of tit for tat stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah, for sure. Although I, yeah, I could see that happening, especially in, in the United States. But what's interesting in that regard is that Tesla has a lot of their manufacturing base in China, which was a very smart move because it lowered their costs, right? Similar to a BYD. How are people going to look at that? Right. I think. Are they going to be able to thread the needle? It's a very fine line there of, okay, you have these, you know, right? The Chinese auto plant there. Is it the same as BYD exporting it? It's maybe they're going to ride the line and Musk is just going to ride out and be the, you know what I mean? The the ultimate victor there. But I find that to be a little bit of a complication. And I think I would be very optimistic on BYD if there wasn't the China factor. What do you think? What are your thoughts on unions in general? Because as an like, investor, like as a from an investing yeah. perspective, stuff. It's stuff. Yeah, I agree. Because it, part of me thinks like it I'm sure people in the union feel motivated to create the union because uh, for good reason. It's not like they're just doing it because they want to shoot the company in the foot. But it really does make it tough as a shareholder. I think you're seeing that probably with UPS. 
Yeah. If I think it's tough. UPS shareholder, I'd be a little worried. Yeah. UPS FedEx, the American automakers, the American airlines, not American airlines, but all the United States-based airlines, they all have, if they start earning a good amount of money, those unions ask for raises, which is their right to do. And typically they can succeed. As a shareholder, I think you have to factor that in. Now, sometimes you can balance it out, but if if profits start surging, I think with those businesses, you may want to have a margin of safety there, I think, or be a little bit cautious as a as a shareholder doing any sort of projections. Yeah. The other thing is I think I think unions do well because of what they're called. Like for some calling it a union just makes it feel like it's this very like camaraderie based, you know, like we're sure. we're we're working together to stick it to the man, but in reality, it like hurts a lot of businesses. And we just saw it with that uh, logistics company, Yellow. Right, right. It, I mean, it killed them. It's a fine line. Yeah, you have to you have to balance. Like we talk about all on the show, the most sustainable businesses are the one that balance the needs of all stakeholders. Because without a lot, you know, if you lose one of them, a lot of the times the business falls out. And if the union, if the workers take too much profits, the business isn't going to be there anymore. So it has to be a balance for sure. This is where it helps to have like a MasterCard or Visa model where you really only have oh, yeah. 50, 50 employees. Well, here's here's one uh, that I want to talk about. And I will say as a disclosure, uh, we don't own the stock, but we would, this is one we would like to own at the right price. And it is the Airbnb bust that reminds me of this, right? Where people are talking about this. There could be some property managers that go under. It seems like a lot of them may be over levered. There's a lot of new regulations coming in. We just saw the thing in New York City. However, explain what it is for people that don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically, a lot of people during the pandemic, uh, there was a little bit of a boom in the demand for Airbnbs, right? And a lot of people said, hey, look, if I buy this house or I rent out to this apartment, I'm able to put on Airbnb. There can either be a little bit of an arbitrage or I can take a cheap loan, buy this house. Rent it on Airbnb, take that cash flow, get another loan, blah, 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 scale up this business. And then when some of the demand fell off, a lot of these businesses have seen prices decline. Airbnb is trying to increase their total supply, which has brought down the average daily prices. There's a theory out there, could be true. I think I could see it reasonably be true that a lot of these businesses or small businesses, these property owners are going to go bust over the next year or two, maybe even an extended period of time. And the next logical step for these uh, people is that Airbnb is going to go bust. But I think similar to Visa and MasterCard, Airbnb is above kind of the fray here where it doesn't matter for Visa and MasterCard if a million restaurants in the United States go out of business every year because a million are going to replace them. With Airbnb, I think it's the same thing there. And it kind of relates to that union aspect where if you can be above that, right, you don't have to worry about those things. It can be quite wonderful. Yeah, maybe from a, from a business I, perspective. I think there's merit in the the Airbnb, especially in cities, like the Airbnb model or the the apartment rental arbitrage, does hurt affordability. Yeah, which, if, if it's big if, enough. Yep, yep. If some of these other cities see what New York is doing, where New York is essentially banning with some of the policies that they're putting into these new leases, they're essentially banning the ability to Airbnb your apartment. The 
if other cities see what they're doing and they're like, listen, we have an affordability crisis on our end, we should implement the same things. Then I think it's a problem for Airbnb. And I will say, I think it's fair that a landlord or a property manager can tell their tenants, you're not allowed to Airbnb this out because the, the, the renter doesn't own the property. Like you yeah. shouldn't be able to rent. You should not be able to rent what isn't yours. But I think for the state to or the city to step in and say, you as a property owner aren't allowed to, and some of these rules were weird. It was like, you have to be in the property at the same time as the tenant, if it's 30 days or less of a rental. For them to add those kind of rules, I thought that was kind of overstepping, but I don't know. Do Do you think that the Airbnb arbitrage model was creating an affordability issue or is creating an affordability issue for renters or wannabe homeowners? Okay. That's a great question. I think the theory makes sense. And at a large enough scale, it would, right? Because if you put an Airbnb on the market, it's taking out you know, one unit that someone could rent as a long-term renter. But I don't know if the numbers support that specifically in New York City, because if we look at the number of Airbnbs in the city, it's 40,000. And it didn't have the 40,000 didn't appear overnight. It's been built up over many years. As of 2017, this is a number I'm just pulling off of some website. So, again, take it with a grain of salt. It's probably not exactly correct. It said there are over, there are around 2.2 million renter occupied units. So, I don't think it's going to have a material effect because we're not taking all these Airbnbs away overnight. It's not going to be, it's not going to move the needle. And I don't think it's causing the housing problem. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Tyler, second thing, second comments. thing here. Wait, wait, here's my, okay. Second thing is, if the supply gets restricted enough, it actually will benefit Airbnb because prices on Airbnbs are going to go up, which really helps with their margins. Yeah, it could be. Tyler in the comments says, banning Airbnbs solves the housing crisis about as, effective, as effectively as banning hotels does. I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it's like big hotel Marriott lobbyists, like these Airbnbs are causing a housing crisis. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I honestly would not be surprised if the 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 hotel lobby lobbyists were the ones planting this seed. Would not be surprised. It is. Yeah, it's interesting. I always think it's funny that there's such big affordability issues when there's so much open space in America. Like if you drive outside of the coast, you're, every time I do that, I think I'm blown away that it's so hard to afford homes. Like everyone just consolidates into this like 10 miles, 10 square mile radius. Oh yeah. The Seattle area has so much potential. I mean, the East coast is a little more dense, but the West coast specifically has so much area to to develop. And it wouldn't even take up that much space comparatively to how big the areas are. Especially in a world where hybrid work is potentially more common or even remote work. I, I'm, I know I'm kind of a remote work skeptic, but pre, relative to pre-COVID or just in general, I think remote work over time is going to be more and more common. I'm, I, I would be long rural areas yeah, or, sure. the, or the price of land, I guess. Yeah. In middle America. 
Yeah. Well, maybe not middle. Which maybe I should just be a Dollar General shareholder then. <laughs> yeah. That, that I was going to say, I was thinking about Dollar General. Maybe that makes sense. The thing is, everyone still wants to live in New York City, apparently. I guess. Doesn't make sense to me, but hey, it's what they want. It is funny. Uh, that it feels like there's a lot of people that live in New York because they feel like they have to. Yeah. Because they have a job there or something. And they want to get out. And then there's people that are like clamoring to get in there that I don't, I don't understand the appeal. I, and you know what? I maybe think for like a few four, months. Yeah. I could do it for a few months maybe, but I'm pretty sure like three or 4% of our listeners live in New York. I was looking at the little demographics, but I don't get it. I don't get like, I know it's an exciting city, but I don't paying that much would that's the part i don't get is the affordability stuff i could understand it for a few months maybe a year yeah but yeah that's probably true do you think here's running back to airbnb and airbnb bust do you think that governments have the ability given the how much money they make their supply which is the host's and how popular they are among consumers. Do you think governments have the ability now to actually ban Airbnb without a huge backlash from both constituents there? I don't know. And I kind of see it on both sides where it's like, if this is actually causing some sort of an affordability issue, the Airbnb model, and you have a growing homeless population. Right. I can see the government incentive to want to intervene. But it feels too small for that to be happening right now. And I do think in general, I'm a fan of this kind of stuff being regulated at the private level. So having apartment owners say, no, you can't rent out your Airbnb, like having them, giving them the ability to say that, which I think most apartments can already say that. I prefer that, but there is, you know, kind of this bit of a growing homelessness crisis. So I, I don't know. I understand this incentive from big cities. Yeah. I totally get that too. Anyway, I'm still, I would still be long Airbnb if it got to the right price. Yeah. I don't think this is a concern, especially when we saw the doomer, rich dad, poor dad guy say that. Did you see that? I saw you like that. The tweet I had. I just, that guy is just the worst. What happened? The boomers need to get this guy in line because he's, his book was solid. And then, wow. I'm going to sell you this course. He has. Yeah, it was. It, honestly, if you're starting out, like if you're just getting interested in finance for the first time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, not a bad book. I'm glad I read that before I figured out who this guy was, because now if I saw him first calling like, what is it? A hundred of the last two bear markets. He, I wouldn't have read his book. Really? So it's just, it's. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's wild how it's like perma bear, just perma bear. Every three months, he calls a new recession. <laughs> yeah, it's great. He is a little bit of an attention hound. I don't don't underestimate the saying "never meet your heroes" because you do seem to get disappointed. Michael Burry, someone. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's right. Just, uh, I don't know. I think Buffett would be just fine. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But you know, we can't disparage him. The, yeah. All right. Anything yeah, any, our saving grace. Yeah. Oh, and happy, happy late birthday, Buffett. Ninety-three. Still puttering around down there in Omaha. Good, Good for him, man. Good. The uh, what's the combined age now? Him and Charlie. Be like one hundred two almost, or sorry, two hundred two. No, no, isn't that one ninety nine? Yeah, so it'd be one ninety four. No, 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 right? Or one ninety? Oh yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Or no, sorry, sorry. One ninety two. Minus yeah. one, not plus one. Yeah. Well, slowest aging executive team. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's like what they like to say. Uh-huh. Anything else? Oh, we saw Huawei came out with a. This is way out of our wheel wheelhouse. I was trying to write something up on it, but the well, the Huawei came out with a new phone with like a seven nanometer five G type chip thing. Could impact Apple. I don't think that's something we really can discuss. But <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, short Apple. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I just it's just. I think I'm going to ban myself from talking about semiconductors, just as a whole, like. Every stupid take I have, I hope people don't listen. The, uh, I don't know. It's been kind of a quiet week, to be honest. The markets keep going down. I kind of like it. Yeah, I do like that. I I do like that. What are we looking at today? I'm growing more and more intrigued by treasuries. (laughs) Do I sound like a boomer? Yeah. <laughs> a a doomer boomer. The uh I don't know. I mean five and a half percent. Some of the companies uh, the market's overvalued except for all the companies that we own. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Okay. <laughs> here's okay, so here's here's one. Maybe this is fun to close things out. I don't know if we can come up with any on the spot. So there's one from uh, Choir's podcast, Tobias Carlyle, that had the last time the NASDAQ Russell 2000 traded here was March 2000, the very peak of the dot-com bubble. So it's the NASDAQ 1000 divided by the Russell 2000. So the higher that number, the more the NASDAQ 100 has outperformed the Russell 2000. And the Russell 2000, I believe, is just a small cap index. So what he's basically implying there is that small caps... Could be undervalued. There could be some opportunities there. So our friend Sinstock Poppy said, what's your favorite small cap idea that has the potential to compound earnings at 15% or so, but that is also a victim of the rotation out of small caps, i.e. multiple compression despite strong historical and forward growth? Anything come to mind there? One from our portfolio would be, uh, it's a little big, it's too big. I would say Ally would still get fit in there, even though it's not in that small cap range. It's more mid cap. But again, definitely do your own due diligence on that. That could be dangerous as a financial. Something I think for the listeners maybe to think about, it could be some opportunities in that range for, for people. But any thoughts for from you, Ryan? Hmm. I'm a little reluctant to talk about anything that's too small in our portfolio just because... Well, of course. I yeah. don't want us yeah. to be because we're such influential finance figures that don't want to dictate yeah. the price. <laughs> the uh I don't know. Something that I just feel like every time I look at a small cap company, I think like, wow, it's a great opportunity. But this business is just horrible. What about Revolve Group? Are they that small? 
I yes, I think they're very small and stocks down a lot. Let's look at the PE. Just do a quick PE check. I think I'd rather own Ulta. Yeah, it's at like 23. The PE's at like 23, but the but I mean the potential the market gap's below a billion dollars. And I believe if Revolve hits their margin, they could have a margin inflection that brings it higher. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Ulta could be a better. Anything that is in the fashion retail space, it's hard. I just got to toss it out. Uh, of course, a lot of comic here. comments here. Rick's Cabaret. Yeah, of course. Everyone loves <laughs> okay. that one. How's yeah. that? Let's check out. That was a fan favorite, not from our show, but specifically FinTwit, the finance world for a while. Let's see how the performance has been. Rick's. Down. RCI Hospitality. RCI Hospitality. Yeah, down basically flat over the last year. Yeah, it's kind of had a little... Hey, there could be opportunity there. Who knows? Don't know. Well, interesting. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> there's, honestly, there's, I know the company well. I read a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the <laughs> yeah, no. They're honestly they're not even in our area. They're in like the south, from what I remember. From what yeah. I remember. I don't know that. I don't know that for a fact. Okay, we got a question here that can maybe close us out. Do you guys have any thoughts about LVMH? Well, great story, great history. Uh, the guy that runs it cannot pronounce his name, but he has done fantastic. Basically, the Logan Roy, really? Um, yeah, they're doing the succession Sounds planning. Like top just duking it out for succession. He's, he's like the Joker in the Dark Knight. He's breaking the sticks, tossing out. When do you guys get out of here? The I don't, it's just too big for me and in an industry I don't understand. So I think that's that. And I worry about, I worry about succession. I Yeah. I like Bernard Arnold. Is that how you say it? Right. Arnold. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like the, that. Uh, I like him. I do think it's a little too big. There's too much Louis Vuitton out there. I see too what many, bum, I see too many bums wearing Louis Vuitton. I'm sorry. I, I think that's honestly, it's a risk for me. I don't know if the brand's been diluted down, but I just don't. I, I like the area, I like the category of luxury. I just think Louis Vuitton's too big, honestly. Yeah. I like Hermes and Ferrari better. At Obviously at the right price. That's the other thing. It always feels too expensive, which maybe that's just, I, I should get over that and uh, forecast better growth. But the... Uh, it's just not in my wheelhouse. It really is. Yeah. And like you have to predict the Chinese consumer market, which man, I don't want to do that. And everyone's has everyone has been dead wrong on that for the last two years because everyone was predicting the China recovery and it just hasn't been there. Yeah, it seems like whatever it's just whipsawed from back and forth. But hey, stock's been down. If you like it, you like it. But. Tyler says it feels like ironically they could save the brand by bumping prices by twenty percent overnight. True. I guess they still yeah. have that, but I do worry about the balance, right? The balance. It's almost like the... They could save the brand but hurt the financials. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more of like the bigger you grow in luxury. It's one of those balances. I did read the luxury strategy book, which I thought was pretty good. A little bit... Um, it could have been shorter, I think, <laughs> but it was a French guy kind of elaborating and he was very... Let's say he liked the French a lot, <laughs> which I thought we didn't need to have in that book. But... It, it, the interesting thing is that uh, 
it's hard to describe, but yeah, the, the, the true luxury brands are the ones where the customers want them to raise prices because it increases the exclusivity. I worry, and again, I'm not an expert on Louis Vuitton, but I worry that unlike a Ferrari or an Hermes or a Rolex, they are straying a little bit away from that. I agree. You're- we should get someone on to talk about LVMH though. Could be interesting. Oh, uh, you know who owns it? Our friend. Um, I think he does. Let me double check here. Well, don't need to. Either way, we'll get we, should find, we, we should find someone to get on to talk about it because it's not one that we're going to probably cover on a not so deep dive. It is too out of our wheelhouse. And it looks like we have some stuff that says, like, love the podcast. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, I think that's going to be it unless Ryan can find the person. Uh, We're coming up on the hour mark here. So for anyone that's listening, these are live on Thursday mornings on YouTube. You can watch them on YouTube. You can also listen Sunday mornings on your podcast player. We don't care how you do it. But if you want to join live, you can ask us questions, which we think is fun. We love the discussion there. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. I think Ryan is frozen, but that's perfect timing because I just ended the show and we'll see you next time.